In the beginning, the provider said, let there be water, and the seeds came forth. He created everything that we know. Hey, hey! The sun, the air that we breathe. He made also both man and fish, and no combination thereof. He does not abide the notion of evolution. Amen! Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 53 and 54, which begin with Nord arriving with a jar of dirt and end with the Commerce Elder begging for his life. Here at the top of this week's set of minutes, the Ledger Guy lets us know that the reason there aren't atolls on every horizon is because the smokers sunk a few. Yeah, and I expect that's putting it gently for the sake of the ego of the deacon Mm -hmm. instead of being snarky and saying, well, there are no atolls because you killed them all. It's, well, we sunk some of them. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of, gee, where did all the buffalo go? Yeah, yeah, definitely. you, You hopped on a train and... You rode it through buffalo country and you shot all the buffalo. Yes, you did. And it is another aspect of the smokers, maybe mentality is the right word, of destruction for the sake of taking. Later on in this movie, the deacon is going to describe the smoker society as the church of eternal growth. And the way they sustain that growth is by pillaging, taking what other people have made, and leaving them with nothing. And based on this interaction with the ledger guy, that's not a sustainable model. No, it's not. Eventually, in the world that we're seeing now, there are fewer and fewer atolls. There's fewer people to conquer, and those conquests are less satisfying. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to a Lion King situation. There is a circle of life here in Waterworld. The lions eat the antelope, and when the lions die, their bodies become the grass, which is in turn eaten by the antelope. Everybody is part of a symbiote circle, and it's the duty of the predators in that circle to not overhunt the prey mm-hmm. in that situation. And because the smokers are the types who see everything as theirs by divine right, that if they come across someone who has, they are almost duty-bound to take. Exactly. And just as we saw in The Lion King, it was like divine intervention that when Scar, the overhunting predator, was in control, there was also a drought. Mm-hmm. There was some level of divine intervention in things just not being the way they're supposed to be. Yeah, the deacon is finding himself in a similar situation. He's overhunted, and now there are less resources. Mm-hmm. Into the conversation that the ledger guy and the deacon are having comes the Nord. He shoves a jar of dirt between the two men right in the face of the ledger guy, 
saying, oh, look, I found this. And the deacon sees this jar of dirt as a step in the right direction. He does. I'm fascinated by the Nord's interjection. And I have been fascinated by the interaction between the ledger guy and the deacon all last week and rolling into this week that there was a real sense from the deacon that I want to have a meaningful conversation with this person who serves me in this way and we are going to talk instead of the ledger guy being like, excuse me, I need to tell you things and trying and trying and trying to get his attention, which is kind of a trope we see sometimes. Mm -hmm. The nebbish assistant. Yes. It wasn't like that. They were actually having a functional conversation. And then the Nord comes in, completely blows off the ledger guy, physically dismisses him. (laughs) So that shows me a difference in leadership styles between the Nord and the Deacon. That the Deacon actually has some leadership skills. They're questionable, for sure. But he was having a real conversation with the guy who manages his resources. So that is a leadership quality. While the Nord was like, nope, my turn, and just pushes him out of the way. The Nord and the Ledger guy, and we're going to be introduced to others, they're both lieutenants of the Deacon. They are his underbosses. And while I'm sure that some of them work better with others... I'm sure the Nord just has that personality where I'm an underboss, but I'm the more important underboss. He's the Bubba Zanetti. Exactly. He is the lieutenant of lieutenants. So he's going to let his opinion be known, and he's going to deliver his information now because his information is most important. Unfortunately, the information that he has for Deacon is not the information that Deacon wants to hear because Deacon asks about the girl, and Nord says, not here, She might have gotten away, and Deacon goes from zero to furious in a split second. He throws the jar of dirt away, and he growls out that she is the whole reason they came here. They didn't come here to practice. They don't need practice. I love this in several ways. I like that he had a perhaps stereotypical outburst. Mm Mm-hmm. But at an appropriate time, he should have had an outburst. He should have slightly lost his temper at the Nord because the Nord delivered really bad news. And as the Deacon points out, that's the whole reason they came here. The Deacon has lost a lot of fighting men. He has lost several vehicles. He lost a lot of ammunition. He lost an eye to this attack. And to be told that all of that was for naught, he is well within his rights to throw a bit of a tantrum here. He is. And how does the Nord not get in more trouble? This was all on the intelligence of the Nord. How does he not get into trouble? Oh my goodness. Like, this is bad for him. This is Charles bad. (laughs) We spend a decent amount of time last week talking about the punishment that should be accorded to Charles and the rest of the boatship crew. Whatever Charles gets, the Nord should get. <laughs> I want you to watch the Nord's expression 
as Deacon is flipping out after he throws oh the jar. Oh my gosh, yes! Because it gives the air of, oh, I'm bored because you're throwing a fit again. It's so looking down upon the Deacon and condescending, which mean the same thing. And he views the Deacon as being childish. It's infuriating. It really is because Nord is an underling. And the deacon is the manager in this situation. And it's just like work in retail when you've got an employee who thinks they know more than the manager. And I'm not saying that managers always know more than their employees because that is not always the case. But there is an expression that retail workers get when their manager is going off on something. And this is that expression. This is absolutely that expression. If I agreed with the Nord, then I would be okay with this expression. But I agree with the deacon. First of all, yeah, he throws a little tantrum, but it's not actually that bad. Yeah. It's really not. He makes a good point. He makes a couple of good points. And he's not throwing a fit. He's angry, but he is appropriately angry. Yeah. When you're bleeding out of a hole in your head, I think you're allowed to get a little heated (laughs) in your expressions. The second point that he makes in his little tantrum that we're calling it, but I do think that tantrum is a strong word, is that we didn't come here to practice. We don't need practice. That's exactly what we witnessed. This was a tactical attack. It was efficient. And the only reason it fell apart is because of Chuck. And the Mariner, of course, was clever. He was a monkey wrench in the works, I'm sure. Yes, more clever than... The typical atoll dweller, Mm -hmm. especially in this atoll, because they were not that bright here, which has already been established that the Mariner is clever. So I like the recognition that they don't need to practice and that that agrees with what we were shown. Let's cut aside for a moment because the enforcer sneaks into a small boat in order to slip out the side of the atoll. And there is a young person with him, and their hands are covered in blood. I'm not convinced that the person sneaking into this boat is the same child that the enforcer was carrying earlier. No, I thought about that. I did notice the bloody hands. This child is larger than the child that he was pulling out of the boat. So, yeah, definitely not the same one. And I'm looking forward to remembering this moment way down the road. When we meet the Enforcer once again. It's It's going to be be a long time. Quite some time. But I think when we do get there, we will need to refer back to this moment. I think it's interesting that more atollers than just the banker are slipping away. I imagine that anybody who lived on this atoll knew about the side entrances. That was not something that was a secret for people who are in a position of authority. So it's not like just the Enforcer knew about this little dinghy and this little side door. He was just the one who was lucky enough. That seems about right. To be able to reach it. So let's go back to the Deacon. He is following the Nord and the Nord has strung up a couple of Atollers. We saw them in the background of the clips we saw last week. And... What we have here on one side is the Commerce Elder, and on the other side is a Atoller that we don't necessarily know the name of. And Deacon gives them a bit of an ultimatum. He says, 
You'll notice by the arterial nature of the blood from the hole in my head, you can assume that we're all having a real lousy day. So he needs information about the tattooed girl. First one that tells him about it gets to live. Once again, I enjoy the deacon when he talks. It's a great line. He speaks more intelligently than we have heard anybody speak so far in this movie. Mm -hmm. The only other person who might be considered as clever as the deacon is the mariner, but he's not clever in the same way that the deacon is clever. The mariner is clever mechanically, physically clever. The deacon is mentally clever. Mm -hmm. So... I kind of doubt that, especially the two that are strung up, really followed what he just said. But, I mean, they got the gist. They got enough. They heard whoever speaks first lives. Absolutely. And so the Commerce Elder is the one who sneaks out his response first. Yeah. Neither of them hesitate. The Commerce Elder is just faster. Yeah. So the Commerce Elder says, I saw a girl, and the eight-toll man on the other side says she had a big tattoo on her. And so the deacon points his gun at the unnamed atoll man, shoots him dead. So that's one less heartbeat to worry about. And then tells the commerce elder that he won the contest of who gets to speak first and that he should start over at the beginning because there was a lot of shouting. Something that I find surprising, and I suppose I shouldn't find it surprising, is that now we get up close and personal with the commerce elder, hear him talk, his appearance is just so different than when he was smugly watching over the transaction with the Mariner mm-hmm. or smugly contributing to the meeting regarding the Mariner and eventually Enola. Back in those scenes, I considered him a handsome man, a catch, especially in that society where he was the commerce elder, that he would be considered powerful. Yes. And now none of that is left. That is all gone. He is no longer handsome. He is no longer powerful or well-spoken, anything. And it's a real testament to what captivity does to somebody. Yeah, I'm willing to bet these smokers have tortured him a bit before the deacon arrived. More so than just slapping him in chains and hanging him off of the wheel here. Yeah. And may I also point out that the position that he is in is a crucifying position. And there are certainly some religious parallels to be drawn. We haven't really gotten into the religious organization of the deacon side of things, except that his name is the deacon. But the crucifixion position, just being hung up by the shoulders like that is horrifically painful. You can't breathe. It's just a really, really awful position to be in. People die that way. Mm Mm-hmm. But the Commerce Elder is able to tell the Deacon that he saw a girl, he's not sure, but he thinks that she got on the boat with three hulls. And the Deacon is listening very intently to this. It strikes me as a bit odd that the Commerce Elder is speaking in such vagaries, despite the fact that he lives on a very closed community. And in theory, I would expect that everybody in that atoll would know everybody else's name. Because they see the same group of people every single day. Right. I don't get the sense that the Commerce Elder is doing this to protect her. Certainly not. I don't think he cares about her at all. It is odd that he is talking in vagaries. It's a mystery to me. I guess we have to chalk it up to what he has physically been through. Mm -hmm. 
first throughout the battle and then since being captured, he probably has been tortured. And simply being in this crucifixion position, that alone is torture. If they had done nothing else to him but hung him up like this, well, that is torture. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't necessarily have his wits about him. But come on. You know her. You know her name is Enola. You know her guardian is Helen. You know she has a tattoo on her back. You know that they are trying to decipher it, but can't. You know all this stuff. You know that her appearance on the atoll was mysterious. You know that nobody wanted her there. But it's just weird. It is. Very weird. But when the deacon hears about the boat with three hulls, the first thing he thinks about is how that is the boat that cost him a thousand G's of go juice. I'm tickled by the phrase go juice. <laughs> okay, go juice versus guzzling. Oh, guzzling all the way. Okay. <laughs> because go juice, frankly, makes me think about gogurt, which is just yogurt in a tube and gross yogurt. It's not even like real yogurt. It's gross fake yogurt that freezes better than if you just took a tub of yogurt and put it in the freezer. That, no, that's, it doesn't come out like ice cream. It doesn't come out like yogurt. It's just gross. Nope, it's just gross. It's not real yogurt. And go juice. It also makes me think about, I'm not sure where this came from. One of those like mommy videos, like a TikTok type thing, but my memory is that this was before TikTok, so maybe it was a Vine thing, where mommy's go juice is wine. Mm -hmm. And it's a ridiculous concept to me that you explain your wine drinking to your children as this is mommy's go juice, that type of thing. It's dumb, and it's treating kids dumb, and it's treating yourself dumb. So I don't like the phrase go juice. <laughs> That's fair. And as the deacon is throwing out his slang, the commerce elder answers with slang of his own, saying, yeah, the Muto's boat. And deacon says, Muto? And that tells me that there must be all sorts of different nicknames that people have for mutants born on Waterworld. Because it tells me that the deacon hasn't heard the phrase Muto before. Right. Do you think he has his own term for it? Maybe. I got the vibe that this was the first time he had come across a mutant, period. I mean, that could very well be the situation. The Commerce Elder proceeds to go into specifics mm -hmm. about the Mariner and his particular mutation. These are specifics of a man that he knew for a couple of hours. Yep. Yet, when he was talking about Enola, it's like he barely knew she existed, <laughs> even though he had known her for years. Like, I know Helen was trying to hide Enola from strangers, but you can't hide a kid from people that you live around every day. Yeah. I mean, sure. Finding someone with gills is out of the ordinary, to yes. say the least. Yes. But so is having a child with such a tattoo on her back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just reiterates that he has the capacity for details yeah, and chose not to give them about Enola, yeah. but offers up the Mariner at the drop of a hat. And on the surface, I suppose you might say that that is some semblance of loyalty to Enola, that he is scarce with the details and non-loyalty to the Mariner, because why should he be loyal to the Mariner at all? That he gives them those details. But I don't think that's the case. 
I don't yeah. know what the case is, but I don't think it's a loyalty issue. I don't think he was any more loyal to Winola than he was to the Mariner. I think they yeah. were equal footing there yes. based on the public meeting. The Commerce Elder goes on to explain that this fishman, this muto, was a fluke of evolution. And the deacon says, oh, I'm sorry, a fluke of, and then he pauses, and Nord pipes up and says evolution, and that prompts the deacon to say, oh, I know. It was a rhetorical, oh, I'm sorry, what? Like, it wasn't that the deacon didn't understand, it's that he couldn't necessarily believe what he was hearing right out. And I get a bit of a laugh out of the Nord piping up and being a bit insolent in his manner. I would like to think that the deacon's reaction of saying, oh, I'm sorry, a fluke of, was him emphasizing the pun. Because a fluke is a type of fish. Mm -hmm. And it is the Duke of Soul, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then nobody got his joke. Oh, that's even more tragic. It is. His I know was a tiny bit petulant. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And it kind of fits with, I was trying to be funny. The Nord didn't get it, because I don't think the Nord will ever get a joke. No. And so I have to wrap it up and move on. <laughs> and then, okay, the next line is great, too. Mm -hmm. The deacon says, let's have an intelligent conversation here. I'll talk. It's he like saying... That I'm the only one capable of having an intelligent conversation, mm -hmm. which is kind of true. I mean, <laughs> the Nord seems reasonably intelligent, but nobody else there does. The Nord seems smart in such a way that he's too smart for his own good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't know how to turn it off. Right. His attitude is going to get him in trouble someday. Yeah. I've gotten in trouble for having an attitude towards my managers before and you don't get to get away with that crap yeah i'm sure the deacon is keeping a mental tally list of all the times the nord was like this and eventually he's going to stop giving him second chances so are we ready to get into the deacon's little sermon here oh yeah bring it on so the deacon says that in the beginning the provider said let there be water and the seas came forth their creation myth starts at as the guy in the full motion video video game for Waterworld said, the great deluge when the world was flooded. And curiously, that's basically how Genesis goes too. So far, it's normal. Except that he doesn't describe anything other than water coming forth. Right. The big thing about Genesis is that it takes seven days for different things to happen, a progression until we get to the earth more or less as we know it. In their theology, there's only one day. Let there be water, and there was water, and mm -hmm. that's it. And as the deacon describes it, this provider that they worship created everything that they know. And in the middle of this speech, we're looking at the ledger guy, and all of these smokers are rushing around doing their pillaging, and he has to call out to them to stop what they're doing and listen because the boss is talking. I'm having a hard time really nailing down the deacon's ego because he starts out this sermon pretty much just talking to this small group of four people. Mm -hmm. Well, three, because one of them's dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, 
this conversation that has been happening has been between himself, the Nord, and the Commerce Elder. So then he goes into this sermon, and he does turn around to face the general atoll people, but he never pronounces, I am going to give a sermon, everybody pay attention to me. Right. He just says, I'm going to talk, and he starts talking. He doesn't necessarily need everyone to stop and listen to him. He just wants to talk. Well, that's the thing about him being the deacon. He is, yes, the de facto leader of this faction, but he also represents a bit of a spiritual leader in a way, talking about the provider and being called the deacon in general. And so the ledger guy says, oh, well, if he's going to start preaching, Mm -hmm. I'd better round up a crowd to sit here and listen. It almost feels like the deacon is receiving revelation, like right now. (laughs) Yeah. Because he is speaking directly about the subject matter of the provider made man and the provider made fish and no combination thereof. Mm -hmm. Well, while it is phrased like scripture, it sounds like something that you could find in the book of Genesis, but it's not. That's not scripture. He is just saying it right now. And it kind of sounds like he is currently receiving revelation that he is saying to people. Some sort of communication from that provider. Yes, based on the current circumstances. Yeah, because the provider made the sun and the air that they breathe. And as you described, man and fish and nothing in between. He says specifically, the creator does not abide the notion of evolution And that made me stop and think, what is this, Tennessee in 1925? (laughs) Students of American history may remember the Scopes Monkey Trial, which is formerly known as the State of Tennessee versus John Thomas Scopes. And it was an American legal case in July 1925 in which a high school teacher, John T. Scopes, was accused of violating Tennessee's Butler Act, which made it unlawful to teach human evolution in any state-funded school. And while that is a case from, like, 100 years ago, those arguments are still happening today. Fun fact. Scopes was found guilty and fined $100, which in 2019 money is like 1500 bucks. But the verdict was overturned on a technicality. Well... Too many things are based on technicalities. The letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. I mean, I'm grateful that it was overturned because I don't agree with the verdict in the first place, but it shouldn't have been on a technicality. It should have been because teaching science is the right thing to do. I also can't help but think that since the deacon preaches no combination of man and fish, that he would really not like the movie The Shape of Water. Nope. There's an awful lot of movies that he would not like. Mm Mm-hmm. Little Mermaid? Nope. (laughs) Beauty and the Beast? Nope. Peter Pan? Out of the question? Splash? Oh, he would hate Splash. Oh, he would. What's the Cher one? Cher and Christina Ricci? Oh, you're way out of my depth. I've actually actually never seen it. Oh, Mermaids. It was called called Mermaids, Mermaids. yes. (laughs) I've never seen that one, though. He probably also wouldn't like the Aquaman movies. Oh, no, definitely not. Let's see. Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides would be right out of the question because that's the one with the mermaid in it. Yep. Isn't the first one the one where they've got like octopus faces? 
I think that's the second the one. The second one? Okay. Yeah. But as the deacon was giving his sermon here, the Nord moved around and took his place in amongst the other smokers, and he's the one to lead the amen when Deacon wrapped up his little speech. Yeah, and... he's the only one that said amen. <laughs> and then the deacon turns around and he points his gun at the commerce elder, and the commerce elder holds up and says, no, 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 you said you wouldn't kill me. <laughs> the commerce elder does get a stay of execution mm-hmm. for a week. Mm-hmm. He does not die in this minute. That did cause me to go back and review exactly what the deacon did say. Yeah. So, scrolling back, he says, I need to know about that tattooed girl, first one that tells me, lives. He doesn't say he's not going to kill him. That's very true. He lives. Well, he has lived. He lives for a few more minutes (laughs) than the other guy. He never said he wasn't going to kill him. (laughs) Ah, there's those technicalities that drive me nuts. Yep. Those little technicalities that I just love to look at. Yep. As you said, Commerce Elder gets a bit of a stay of execution. We will revisit that topic when we come back next week. We will also see the Deacon make an excellent pun. The Mariner will perform some rudimentary repairs on the Trimoran. And Helen will get her hopes up about this three-hour tour. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of danielbatista.com. Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mad Max Minute. And like us on Facebook by searching Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash madmaxmin. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 27. We'll see you next time.